good morning. We're making our way through Titus. We're in chapter 2. And chapter 2 deals with uh, ideal characteristics or training for specific classes of folks within, within the church. And there's a, an interesting matrix. We're not going to go through that matrix. I just want to make two points because ultimately I want to talk about grace today. The two points I want to make, first, this would have been a great thing to talk about last week, but we weren't quite this far. Uh, there's a verse in chapter 2 that the, you can see it in the, in the second column, fourth row, that older women are supposed to teach the younger women. There was a lady in West Virginia in the 1800s, her name was Anna Jarvis, who's credited for creating Mother's Day. And what Anna Jarvis was, she was a Sunday school teacher, and what she did outside of class was she taught the younger women how to keep a, a, a hygienic, a clean household. Keep in mind that was a time frame when Louis Pasteur discovered the connection between bacteria and diseases. So she was, you know, on the front lines. Civil War came. She used that hygiene and that teaching for them to set up field hospitals where they served both the civil, uh, both the Confederate and Union soldiers. And so the grand, grand example of the older women teaching the other women. I, was, I was hesitating to bring this one up, but on the, young, the older men and the younger men, I want to use myself and my son as, as an example, a silly example, to uh, try to understand what happens as you transition from the younger guy to the older guy. I got this great hybrid car that if I feather my foot on the acceler just right, I don't use any gas. So uh, we got our free chicken sandwiches at McDonald's, because the Phillies won. If you want to know more about that, see me after class. But because Oxford, Oxford was closed, we're driving home. We're going past your grain bins, and John says, why are you going 40 in a 45-mile zone? I guess he was hungry. I said, when we get to Russellville, I'll tell you. We get to Russellville, and at the traffic light, of course, there are a couple of cars in the traffic line, and I kind of coasted in right behind them. Right? So I coasted in, and I wouldn't have gotten any farther along if I had sped that strip. So we turn right on Street Road, and we're going down towards Hetfag's Manor Road, and he says, okay, so why are you going 50 in a 45-mile zone? I said, I'm going downhill, it's free gas. I didn't think that way just a few, few years ago. I would have thought just like my son, I've got to get home and eat my sandwich. But let's talk about grace today. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all men. The good news is that all can be saved. The tragedy is that not all will be. So we're going to talk about grace today. You've seen some of these numbers before. The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, use the word grace eight times. Now, you see where it says grace or charisma? You can't come up with the eight in a concordance unless you're using a Greek concordance because in Luke's gospel it says like, uh, Hail Mary, you're highly favored. That's the word grace. That's where the Catholics get Hail Mary full of grace. So seven times John uses uh, the word grace. 
in the Acts of the Apostle, who Luke was the author, but Paul was pretty much the main character. How many times do you think Paul used the word grace? It's a blank up there. How many times do you think Paul used the word grace? Any guesses? A lot. That's a good guess. 108 times. Now, while John, first John, second John, third John, Revelation, on top of the Gospel of John, uses the word Jesus 291 times. And what he's saying is, if you want to see grace, you've got to see Jesus. If you want to see grace, you've got to see Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. They'll give you a commercial for Vacation Bible School. We're going to have an adult class. And we're going to be covering the theophanies, which are the appearances of Jesus before he was, he was born of a virgin. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we had seen His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, or wave upon wave. By the way, Jenny is stuck in Florida for the next month because she has some blood clots and she's not allowed to fly. So she's receiving wave upon wave, and I hope she's receiving grace upon grace. Please pray for her, all right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made for him that were made. Without him, that was it. there was nothing made that was made. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I'm relating this to the verse we started on that said, The grace appeared to all men. Well, Jesus appeared to Paul on Damascus Road. Jesus was with John. In fact, Jesus had his head on uh, the breast of Jesus during that final supper. But Jesus was the light that lights everyone who came into the world. He came to his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave him the power to become the sons of God. The invisible things of this world, I'm sorry, the visible things of this world point to the invisible. Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. From the creation, see it up there. From the creation, things have been clearly seen so that man is without excuse. This is the, we're talking about the definitive statement of Paul about grace. Grace has appeared to all men. Peter, what do I mean by Peter's foot and mouth disease? What was Peter's problem? Same problem John has. He didn't do ready, aim, fire. He did ready, fire, aim, right? Peter says, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace. King James uses the word manifold, so if you have to open the hood of your car, you're going to have some manifold grace if you manage to fix it. Right. Now, what kind of grace did Peter need? He needed grace to declare that Jesus was the Son of God. But who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but the Father in heaven has revealed it unto you. 
He had grace to be forgiven for his denial. Grace to be forgiven for poor Malchus here. He had grace to be able to teach on the day of Pentecost and see thousands saved. And he had grace to receive Paul's admonition. Peter was wrong, and you can see this in Acts chapter 15 in Galatians, where Paul had to uh, admonish Peter for him you know, pulling back into the Jewish traditions. How many times, how many varied kinds of grace are common up there? It's in the highlights, it's in the bowl. Forgiveness. In Paul's case, I'm sorry, in Peter's case, the variableness was forgiveness. And then the ultimate, well, the ultimate for Peter was to be saved, just like the ultimate for Peter, for me, was to be saved. But once that happened, the ultimate for Peter would be to be able to lay down his life for Christ. And there you see a painting of him uh, being crucified up there. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's third person, isn't it? The rest of that verse goes to first person. It teaches us. Let's go back again to the beginning. It's, the good news is that all people could be saved. The tragedy is that, all, that not all will be. It teaches us. What does grace teach us? First of all, it teaches us to say no. Nancy Reagan in drugs, her phrase was just say no. Well... If you have an addiction, it's pretty hard to just say no. I was talking with James, going somewhere, I don't know where it was, and he said, why do people smoke? I said, well, because nicotine, 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 or if you got the nicotine shortly. <laughs> nicotine is a drug and it's addictive. He said, but how do you get addicted in the first place? He's, he's 11 years old and he's searching. I said, well, there's going to be some kid that's already been addicted, and he's going to have a pack of cigarettes, and he's going to say, you're a chicken if you don't take one of these things, and it's going to be very hard for you to be a man and say, I can live without it. Just say no to ungodliness. What else does it teach us? This is on the positive side. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives while we wait. It teaches us to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of, of the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to notice the different tenses of that word delivered. First of all, he delivered me from a deadly peril. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll jump down to the bottom. Or him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He's continually delivering me. I've got foot and mouth disease. You know, last week I mentioned how to dispose of chewing gum. And you could sit there and say, man, he must be holier than thou if he thinks about how to get rid of his chewing gum. Silly example, because there are things running around in my head and my heart that I just can't talk about. Sing the kid's song, he's still working on me to make me what he wants me to, what he wants me to be. He delivered me, he continues to deliver me, and he's going to deliver me. He's delivered me from the penalty of sin. He's delivering me from the power of sin. And he's going to deliver me from the presence of sin. 
Who are those folks and what do they have in common? The bottom left does not have a name, that's just a generic picture. Who are those folks and what do they have in common? You must all be Mennonites, don't watch television. <laughs> that's Yoda, that's exactly right. 1972, Kung Fu. All right? And uh, the guy on the right is David Paradigm, and the guy on the left with his eyeballs all shiny, his name was Pin. What they have in common, they are all pedagogues. A pedagogue, historically, was if a wealthy family would hire somebody who one-on-one -on -one would teach their child basically everything. You know, the Greek and the Roman and the Latin and the, in the, in the Jewish case, the Hebrew. But he would also discipline that child. He would do everything. And so, if you're familiar with Kung Fu, you would call him grasshopper. Yoda was also a pedagogue. He was teaching these guys how to become Jedi. And there's the personal training, teaching that lady, I suppose, how to box or whatever he's trying to teach her to do. I don't know. But they were all pedagogues. Grace is a pedagogue. It teaches me how can I improve my grief. But it not only teaches me things to keep in my head, but it disciplines me. That's what grace does. It's a pedagogue, and that's what that word is in the scripture. So grace is my personal trainer, my pedagogue, and it's yours too if you'll let it. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. King James says, God forbid. Some people say, John, all you talk about is grace, grace, grace. That's, that's cheap grace. That's cheap. No, grace is not cheap. Should, what, should we sin that grace might abound? God forbid. Legalism is defeated. And I've come through it. It's an ugly, cankerous sword. What do the Pharisees say in Luke 18? I thank God that I'm not like this publican or like this Democrat. I thank God I'm not like this person. I fast twice a day, uh, twice a week. And I give my tithes. I'll tell you, there are over six billion people in this world. And if you can find one that's worse than you, then you can be a person. But that Pharisee, when he said, I'm fasting twice a week, and I'm giving tithes, was he growing in grace? Yea, John. That's what he was doing. So, you go through those things. You know, our sins look worse on somebody else. That's how I recognize them. And I see somebody say, Look at that guy racing down the road. God, why don't you send a state policeman after him? But then when the state policeman catches me, it's all that please have mercy. It's justice for the other guy and mercy for me. <clears throat> Our sins look worse on the other guy. We start by pasting things on the refrigerator. Spirit gets a hold of you, you can start taking things off your refrigerator. Didn't we do great today, Lord? Well, God, you didn't, I did. Grace is more demanding than legalism because it requires growth. The Pharisee 
fasting and tithing isn't asking the question like the psalmist did, reveal unto me my secret sins. They're not secret from you. They're secret from me. It's a conviction that has to be placed on my heart. Bob one time asked, we're going to get into this next week so you can hear it, okay? Bob one time asked, could, a, could something be a sin for you and not for me? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So, maybe you spit your trim gum in the urinal, but you didn't know it was a problem until I mentioned it. <laughs> okay? So, yeah, something for me is a sin because the Holy Spirit has spoken to me loud and clear about it. If he hasn't spoken to you yet, you wait, you'll get your turn. Growth is more demanding than legalism. Peter signed off by saying, but you know, he started by talking about his varied grace or his manifold grace. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's that second Peter in chapter one where I talked about Snow White and the seven dwarfs. Snow White was pure faith. And then the Bible says, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to right on the way of brotherly love. That's all grace. He says, but grow in the grace. There's another great word that, that well, the King James uses it. He says, your grace be multiplied unto you. We're starting a study on James in our Oracle Bible study. Uh, one of the things I'm going to bring up is arithmetic in the Bible. It all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Let your grace be multiplied unto you. And so that's just uh, one of the introductory kinds of things. So we talked about the negative to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now we're going to talk about the positive to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. I'm a Calvinist. I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. Somebody might be an Armenian. Which means you can lose your Calvinism, you're, you're, you're eternally secure in Arminianism. Each of us should understand what we believe and why we believe. But the question becomes, what's in your heart? Trust in the Lord with all your head. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And this is tough. I think this is tougher on guys than on ladies. I often wondered why there are more ladies in church than men. And now I'm looking across here and I think we might have more men in the room right now than the ladies. But that's neither here nor there. Okay? Well, one of the reasons is ladies live longer. I don't understand why, I got, why guys get the, the shaft on that one. All right? But here's another reason. Ladies are taught to be interdependent. They have quilting bees, okay, and they have teas. Men are taught to be independent. Stand on your own uh, two feet. Big boys don't cry. And so when it comes time to meet Jesus, ladies with the background of interdependency say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. What is a man? 
don't need that. I'll deal with Jesus later. May you not enroll in this community. In all your ways acknowledge him, not just Sunday morning at 9 or 9.02, whatever time we start. And not until you say goodbye to the preacher and go up to him. But in all of our ways, acknowledge him. Grace is teaching us on a positive basis to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. We talked about godliness in the book of, uh, of Timothy. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from me. It will be a healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, is that a panacea to say? I mentioned before you walked in, Jenny's got blood clots. She's stuck in Florida. She can't fly for a week. She said, well, can I drive? The doctor said, well, that's worse than flying. Can I take a train and walk up and down the aisle? And she was trying every way to get up there. The doctor said, you need to be on your back with a compression stocking and your leg up in the air. We'll find out if you listen to the doctor. Is, are all those imperatives a panacea to say, her blood clots are going to go away? No. No. We all live in this flesh. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. We're prone to sickness. We're prone to aging. We're all going to die. But there's a principle there. You know, up until recently, I was able to say I haven't had a black eye until I, uh, after I got saved. Why not? Because I didn't go to the places where I got black eyes. Well, I, I did something. I don't know what it was. So I had a nice, great big shine. That ruined that conversation. David, when he was dealing with unconfessed sin, you read Psalm 37, it talks about that uh, guilt is like a cancer to the bones and it eats the marrow of the bones. And when grace got a hold of him and he repented of his sin, the Lord restored to him, Psalm 51, the joy of his salvation. And then once he had his joy back, he could teach others his ways. So, grace teaches us to say no on the negative side. It teaches us yes on the positive side to live for Jesus. And then it teaches us to wait for the blessed hope. Now that word blessed means happy. If Jesus Christ comes back, I'm going to have a good time. I enjoy my salvation right now, but I'm going to have a good time. There's Revelation chapter 1. Blessed or happy is he who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'm looking for the blessed hope, not the blessed dread. Now, grace, grace will allow me, just like uh, John went into the book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. If I'm striving towards holiness versus maintaining legalism, I can say with John, even so, come Lord Jesus. As opposed to, God, can you wait a month? I've got to clean this thing up. Or, God, you need to be a better husband. Give me some time. Or, I don't want her to get up there first and tell you all about my problems. 
That's what he does tell I'm looking for a blessed hope, not a blessed dread. While we wait, that's a really intense word. Remember the passage that talked about the five wise and the five foolish virgins? What did Jesus find them doing when he came? They weren't playing rook. They weren't having a quilting game. The only difference was five had oil in their lamps and five were five had not. He found them sleeping. We live in a Laodicean church age. We live in a post-Christian society. And we could be lulled to sleep. In chapter 24 of Matthew, the Olivet Discourse, the Bible says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Grace says, John, you're nodding off. John, come. Grace teaches us to look forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there's that verse again. He delivered us from a deadly peril. He will deliver us, and he'll deliver us again. Delivered us from that deadly hope. The wages of sin is death. I'd like to think that everybody in the room has passed that verse. I'd like to think that everybody in this room has already received Jesus Christ. Because now there's going to be a change. In chapter 3, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his Mercy has he saved us. How? By the washing of the word and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, the washing is not baptism because you get saved first and then you get baptized. The renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at first had to tell me, John, you're going to die in your sin. And he saved me, praise God. But then the Holy Spirit was renewed. He went to that next chapter and said, Okay, John, here's your get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, Jesus is your Savior, but now Jesus wants to be your Lord. And if he's not the Lord of all, then he's not the Lord at all. So that renewing of the Holy Spirit, I don't mean to jump into chapter 3, but this is just where my mind is going. The renewing of the Holy Spirit and the varied or the manifold graces, it's a different kind of grace. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit prompts him. So that's the end of the slide. I want to talk to you about Titus and the church of Crete. What did Paul say? He quoted that prophet from 600 years prior. What did he say the Cretans were? Three points. Liars, beasts, and lazy gluttons. Say well. 
There's a story, the story told about these two little boys. And the pastor's walking towards these two little boys and they're, they're sitting on the curb and they keep passing this puppy back and forth to each other. And the pastor said to them, what are you guys doing? So, well, we found this puppy and the one who can tell the biggest lie gets to keep the puppy. The pastor said, oh, I've never told a lie. And the little boy said, here, pastor, you win. We've all had problems. We all continue to have problems. Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, you have to be quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. He said, we were all children of wrath. So, well, I don't want to become a, a, a saint. I don't want to get saved because then I've got to live under the law. Remember the movie Ben-Hur? Ben-Hur. If you haven't seen it recently, you got to see it again. you got to see that movie Ben-Hur. And, uh, hang on a second. Something unusual is going on here. movie Ben-Hur, there was the scene of Ben-Hur who was a galley slave and he was rowing and rowing. That was a picture of pre-salvation. I was a slave to sin. Ben-Hur was a slave. And then they got in a military battle and the boat was trying, starting to sink and they, all, the, all the galley slaves were getting free. And Ben-Hur saves the, the, the big potentate, the captain or whatever it was. And then the next scene is... That big guy, he had lost his biological son. And because Ben-Hur had saved his life, he took off his ring and he says, Ben-Hur is my son. That was a picture of grace. That was a picture of salvation. Who are these people? Yeah, you've all got flip thumbs. I'm not... That's from the chosen. All right, we've got a good man. Who's the guy on the left? Well, your left is this way. That's Nicodemus, okay. And who's the lady on the right? Chapter, well, I'll give you a hint. Who's the lady on the right? That's the woman at the well, okay. Now, we've all got smartphones. Don't do this during church, do this some other time. Go to the App Store, go to Google Play, whichever, and download The Chosen. It's an app that will allow you to see for free various episodes of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. Nicodemus came to Jesus when? At night, okay? And the woman at the well encountered Jesus when? <clears throat> at noontime, that's right. Why did Nicodemus go at night? He wanted secrecy. He was accepted by everybody. We're going to find when we get into John chapter 3, Nicodemus was like the Alan Dershowitz of his day. Alan Dershowitz, for those, he's like the lawyer in the United States. Jesus said to him, aren't you the teacher of Israel? History tells us Nicodemus was the third richest guy in Jerusalem. He came at night 
because he was accepted by everybody. Could have been that Saul of Tarsus was taught by Nicodemus, we don't know. Why did the woman at the well come at noon? Because she was not accepted. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. What's the difference between regeneration and reincarnation? There's a lot of people, a lot of uh, new age people talk about new age, uh, talk about uh, incarnation. What's the difference? Regeneration, reincarnation. Thank you, bud. <laughs> the work of the syllable in the middle of incarnation is carn, it's meat, it's flesh. And so, in the, in the, like I said, the Hindu religion, if I'm not behaving myself, I can come back as a frog or a mosquito or something like that. I come back in flesh. But that's not what born again is talking about. Nicodemus said, must I go back into my mother's womb? Must I be, in, must I be carnated, you know, born that way again? Jesus said, that would be flesh and flesh, spirit. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, who was he talking to? He was talking to, look at verse 10, the teacher of Israel. He was talking to the guy, remember episode one, everybody sort of kowtowed to Nicodemus because he was, he was the authority, he was the man of the hour. Jesus says to him, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Now, do you think Nicodemus was familiar with that passage from Numbers that talked about the serpent and the wilderness? Of course he was. That's all those guys studying were those first five books that the Torah. Was it logical to look up at that brass snake? No. Was it medicinal? Did the brass have anything to do with the healing? No. What happens if somebody's sitting there and I'm not going to look. What happened to that person? I'm not going to look. He died. The wages of sin is death, he says. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was the normal way that people got capital punishment by the Jews? Stoning. Yeah, they were stoned. Titus, by the way, uh, history tells us, was pushed off the pinnacle of the temple. Now, the pinnacle of the temple, uh, if you said from the, the top of the temple to the temple floor, that wasn't so high, maybe 40 feet. The pinnacle of the temple, if you can picture... The, the Temple Mount, and then on the south side is the Kidron Valley, just goes down. The pinnacle of the temple is the top of that Temple Mount, down to the Kidron Valley, it's a couple hundred feet. So history tells us that they drew Titus off the, off the wall, and he lived. So then they stoned him.
said Titus. That was James. I'm studying in two different books, so please forgive me. That was James. So sorry. What did the psalmist say was going to be Jesus in Psalm 22? I'm on a tree. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. He's going to hang on the tree. He who knew no, knew no sin was made sin for us, that we may be made the Lord. So there's Nicodemus, and he's got all this stuff running in his head. All of the scripture, all of the tradition, which is more words than the scripture. If you look at the, the Talmud and the things that the, the uh, historic rabbis, all this stuff is running in his head. And he comes and he gives Nicodemus something totally different on the one hand, but on the other hand, totally coherent with what he had learned. On the one hand, saved by grace through faith versus being the law. But yet, Nicodemus knew that keeping the law was futile. Nicodemus knew that there, there was no escape clause. There was no loophole. The wages of sin is death. And so, you come to the God to love the world. But it is his only begotten son. But whosoever believes that he will not perish, but have eternal life. And that truth that Nicodemus at night accepted, esteemed, and in the next chapter, Get the woman at the well, rejected, shut down. What did the woman at the well do after she received Jesus? Returned to her town. She was going the way she was going anyway. And she didn't sign up for Dallas Theological uh, Correspondence School. What does she have to say? Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? What do you think Nicodemus did that night? It doesn't say what he did the next day. Paul, you say something about it? He did a lot of thinking, didn't he? You read John chapter 7, and you find that Nicodemus was now quarreling with the Sanhedrin about what to do with Jesus. And then you read John 19, and Nicodemus was an accomplice in Jesus. Now in John chapter 9, that was where Jesus healed the blind man who was blind from birth. Now, what did they tell, uh, the, the parents said, he's a grown man, why don't you ask him? Why did they say, talk to, talk to the son? They were afraid of what? They're afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue, weren't they? What do you think the Sanhedrin did to Nicodemus when he came back off that, came back with Joseph of Arimathea burying that body? You think he was still the teacher in Israel? I don't think so. You know, in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were taken in front of the Sanhedrin, they said it was Gamaliel who said... Don't mess with these guys because if Jesus is for real, he's going to continue on. Maybe Gamaliel took the spot of Nicodemus because Nicodemus got the boot. 
want to live for Jesus? Say no to ungodliness and say yes to living an upright life. I mentioned to you in chapter 1, they talked about the qualifications for an elder. 28 qualifications across Timothy, Titus, and Peter. If you can take care of three, the other 25 fall into place. Anybody remember the three? Integrity, the word, and God called. Say, well, I'm never going to be an elder. We got the same calling. Integrity, the word, God called. Well, God didn't call me to be an elder. He called me to be a grandfather. He called me to be a software salesman. He called me to be a fledgling gardener. Whatever he called us to do, do it. The book of Ecclesiastes says, whatever God's given me, do with all my might. And it's 